the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you've tuned in to the Word to Stand On for Life. This is a radio show dedicated to answering your Bible questions, taking your phone calls, whatever's on your heart or mind. We'll do the best that we can to answer. All you have to do is call us. You can do that by dialing 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local area here in San Antonio, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're out driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, call now banner will come up at the top of the screen. Just touch it, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one final time, 340-9585. Well, it's Tuesday, so we don't have anything except for questions. So let me get right to the questions. I want to start today with a question that um, we we had right at the end of the program yesterday, and I thought I had more time than I did. So if it sounds familiar, it's because I asked it yesterday. It's from Josie. And she says, why do you think the church remains silent on issues of abortion and gay marriage? Now, Josie, what I said yesterday, and then I had to cut off because of time, I said, I don't think the church is silent at all about abortion or gay marriage. Um, Real Christians understand that both of those things are sin, and Christians should not be practicing sin. So we talk about them. We talk about them um, a lot. Now, here's the thing I think you're getting at. Uh, a pastor's job in a church is to declare Jesus Christ. Well, during the course of our Bible studies, Josie, we can talk about things that are contemporary, things that are currently um, difficult issues that we have to navigate in this world, things like abortion, gay marriage, and a bunch of other things. But remember that church's message is about Jesus Christ. We're not here to make people better We're not here to make them agree with us politically or socially. We're here to tell them about Jesus Christ, Jesus crucified and risen from the dead. You know, the Apostle Paul said that's his one message in his keep it simple, stupid passage in writing to the Corinthians. He just said, you know, I just make it easy. I proclaim Christ crucified and nothing else. And that's what we need to strive to do. Remember, our mission, Josie, is to declare Jesus Christ. Our mission is to win souls and then disciple those souls. And that's the way we honor the Lord. And the only way we can do that is to teach our Bible verse by verse. Now, I realize there are more churches that do topical studies and they do these hot-button issues. But the problem is you're not saving anybody. Only Jesus Christ saves. That's why I am adamant in 
believing that the only way to do church is to teach the Bible. Start in the beginning of a book and don't stop till you get to the end of it and then go to another book and do the same thing. So, Josie, um, the church isn't silent. We're not afraid to say something is right or something is wrong. But remember, when you come here on Sunday, we're here to present Jesus Christ. You belong to him. It's his message we declare. He's the head of the church. And so that's exactly what we talk about. So, Josie, I hope that makes sense and is able to finish the question and the answer from yesterday. Uh, Rocky wants to know, why does only Matthew mention the saints that were raised from the dead when Jesus was? Uh, It's Matthew 27, Rocky, and it is one of the most intriguing passages of Scripture, just a verse, and it talks about uh, a spectacular supernatural event that occurred uh, when Jesus died. The tombs broke open, and then what it says was those people remained there Uh, until the resurrection, and then they were walking around. So Matthew mentions it. Uh, I'm sure Matthew's is the most Jewish of all of the Gospels. Uh, His mission is to declare to Jews that this is their Christ, their Messiah. Um, The other Gospel writers have a different agenda. Uh, They're telling the same stories. There's no contradictions between the two. So the fact that Matthew mentions it and the others do not mention it doesn't mean it isn't important or isn't valid. Uh, I always, Rocky, think about that that passage of Scripture. I touch on it sometimes during Easter. And the reason I touch on it is because I, I can't imagine what it would be like. We don't know, first of all, who the old saints were. We don't know if these were the old saints from long ago, you know, Abraham and Joseph and the others. Um, uh, we don't know if they're people that were were God-fearers and... and um, were contemporary of the people that were there. So the idea is it was just um, um, uh, an illustration. This is what life in Christ is all about. Once you were dead and now you're alive, you got to admit it would have been a very, very strong message to hear, uh, especially with all of the things going on in Jerusalem about that time concerning Jesus. You know, we learn that some 50 days after Jesus' resurrection on the Feast of Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved. The next day, another 5,000 people got saved. And I have, at least in my own mind, Rocky, concluded that part of the reason they were so anxious was because they saw people walking around who had been dead. You talk about a message that or a miracle, rather, that validates the message. So only Matthew mentions it. Can I say one other thing about Rocky's question? You know, because the Bible says something only once doesn't mean it isn't absolutely true. You know, some things are mentioned over and over. Repetition's important. We need to hear things. Jesus himself repeated his messages uh, often. Um, but, But if something's in the Bible one time, well, that means we need to be obedient. So it doesn't diminish the fact that what's being said is true just because it's only spoken one time. Here's a question from Jeremiah. He says, what is your view on house churches as opposed to going to a larger building? And then he said, what should I be wary of in going to a house church? Uh, Jeremiah, I don't really have a view. House churches are fine. I think sometimes... Um, Christians like to go to house churches because there's no structure and there's no authority to submit to. Uh, you don't have to give. You don't have to serve. Those kind of things. And if those are the reasons, then 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 my view on on a house church in that construct would be very very negative. We we go to church because we are the church. That's first of all. The church is the the building that we go to is not the church. The people who come there are the church. Uh, and. We go to serve others. We don't go to be served. We follow the ministry model of Jesus. We go to serve other people rather than to be served ourselves. So um, I, I think as long as you're in fellowship with other believers, as long as the teaching you're getting is solid, that's another problem at time, at times with with uh, house churches. The, the the people that are leading often aren't gifted to teach. Um, so I, I just. 
it's a personal matter of personal preference. Uh, what you should be wary of is what I just said. The, the person who's hosting the house church uh, isn't a gifted teacher. You know, usually there's a reason. Whenever we break outside of the norm, whatever is normal, and I realize there are lots of people that aren't normal and don't like normal, but but please hear me. Whenever we break out of the normal, it's an indication that something is amiss. And often house churches are filled by people who never got comfortable in church. They never wanted to, to be under anybody's authority in church. They didn't want to serve. They wanted to go with as little commitment as possible. And it's easy in a house church to just go sit, hang out, and and then be done. Um, Jeremiah, as long as you're in a church, serve that church. Be wary that a strong personality in a small group of people doesn't dominate. Make sure that you're being fed. And make sure that your heart is right, the motives in being there. You know, as you know, Jeremiah, the early church met in houses, but that's only because they didn't have big buildings uh, where people could gather. Uh, later, it would become very dangerous for uh, Christians to meet in large assemblies because they would attract the attention of either the Roman or the Jewish authorities, and that would cause them difficulty. Here's a question from Rob. Pastor Ron, are Orthodox Christians real believers? If they're born again, Rob, they are. Now, there's a lot of things that are difficult about Orthodoxy. Um, one, of course, is I mentioned it yesterday in a question that we got about N.T. Wright. Um, um, Orthodox believers um, really don't believe in the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Again, it's a problem for uh, N.T. Wright. I answered the question yesterday. That's a problem doctrinally. Uh, the Bible could not be any more clear that Jesus took the price of our sin. He was punished so we wouldn't have to. And if somebody doesn't believe that, it's 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 usually a sign that there's there's some real doctrinal issues. Um, Orthodox Christians, I mean, the Orthodox Church is older than the Catholic Church. And um, uh, it's been around forever. There's a Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, and then there's just simply the the, the Orthodox Church. Uh, and they're similar, but there are minor differences in all of them. Uh, and I would say if they're born-again Christians, they are. Here's one of the problems, Rob. Um, the Orthodox Church doesn't teach the necessity of the born-again experience. Much like the Catholic Church, um, infant baptism into the church sort of deals with the new birth, they, they think or they claim, uh, deals with the issue of original sin. Uh, unfortunately, we know that's not true. So um, my, my answer is, yeah, there's lots of religious people in Orthodox churches. Some of them are real Christians. They're born again. God is a remnant everywhere. But I would say, by and large, most of them are not. It's just a religious thing. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to Jim in San Marcos. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Ron. This is my once a week phone call from San Marcos. Pretty much. <laughs> How you doing, Jim? I'm doing well. I've uh, I've been kind of. Uh, semi-visiting a Calvary Chapel of the Springs in San Marcos, and I'm really, really pleased with it. Young pastor, very solid. I've heard him preach multiple times. I'm not seeing any... I just had... You just used a phrase. Uh, the Bible could not be more clear with the yeah. topic you were just talking about, and that's the thing. And and the pastor... Uh, well, his name's Eric. I forgot his last name. Siemens, Eric Siemens, he said mm -hmm. this past week he went through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 7, I think it was right around 13 through 24, the end there, narrow and wide gate and all that stuff, and he was just, he just nailed it, knocked it out of the park, had a friend visiting with me, and we went, this is it, this guy's got it, this is solid. <laughs> I looked across the room, and I, I had a friend that was one of the most solid guys I know. I said, I didn't even know you went to church here, so we're set. What I wanted to ask you is, the key is the Bible could not be more clear, but most people get their theology from just wishy-washy whoever. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people in a lot of churches, that's how they get their theology. But the Bible could not be more clear. So 
the, the biggest problem we seem to have. I mean, how do we get more people who claim to be Christians to get more sound uh, doctrinal, you know, theological stuff in them instead of just this real shallow stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you for the for the for the comment about uh, Calvary Chapel of the Springs. I've known Eric since before he was the pastor of that church. The the founding pastor of that church is a friend of mine who is now in Pflugerville in the Austin area. And Eric took over for him. And Eric does a great job and he's a good Bible teacher. So God bless you. I, I know you're going to be really comfortable there. Uh, Jim, you know, the, the answer to your question is we're spiritually lazy. And the truth is, it doesn't matter what church you go to, the truth is that most of the people that come to church, bring their Bibles, don't pick up their Bibles for the rest of the week. And uh, Paul says, itching ears. You know, we, we, we gather around ourselves uh, teachers that will tickle our ears uh, rather than give us sound doctrine. And honestly, Jim, the truth is when when you go to a church that teaches the Bible and it's straightforward and there's no compromise, you're going to be convicted. And too many Christians have chosen to go to church to feel better about themselves. And you'll notice that those are the churches that are the biggest churches in the country, the ones that tell people what they want to hear, they make them feel good, they tell them stories, they give them goosebumps, but give them nothing really, really solid. And if there were more churches doing what Eric is doing in San Marcos, um, what would happen is people would realize that this Bible really is living and active, that it really does convict us, and it forces us to deal with the things that need to be changed in our lives. And uh, unfortunately, most people don't want to change. They go to church, they sort of do it like a religious obligation, and uh, most people don't go to church to hear from God and be changed. And I harp on that all the time. I tell our people here, Jim, that, boy, when you come to church, if you come for any reason other than to meet Jesus and to be changed by him, to grow in the grace and knowledge of God and of his will for your lives, then you're the ones who are missing out. And it's always been this way from the very first church when 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost. It's always been that way. Um, Lots of people just don't really dig in. So you dig in. You be a witness to others. Let them see in you something that's lacking in them. And then when they ask you the question, you can tell them, look, it's just the Bible, the Word of God. Every time I open it, it changes me. And uh, and people get excited about it. If you teach it, they'll come. If you teach it, some will be changed. Uh, but the one thing that is always true, Jim, is that there are some people who uh, have other reasons for coming. And um, it's more of a religious response than it is a life-changing event. Great question, Jim. Thank you very, very much. It thrills my heart when people um, go to a Bible-teaching church and say, that's it. That's really it. 340-9585. Joseph asks, uh, Pastor Ron, can you be both a Christian and an evolutionist? Um, Joseph, I don't really know how to answer this question. Usually I, I say, yeah, you can, but not for long. Um, you know, most of the people who aren't saved and get saved are evolutionists. That's because evolution's been crammed down their throats from the very beginning of their lives. And it's almost sacrosanct. I mean, it's almost one of those things that you don't dare question because people are going to look at you like you're crazy. Um, but here's the thing. If you're a real believer, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Uh, if you're a real believer, as the Word of God is taught, as the Word of God is proclaimed... Uh, the Holy Spirit's going to change your mind and your heart on those issues. Once you think about something, Joseph, an evolutionist, if it is not true that Adam and Eve were the first two real Christians, the first two real people on this earth, both of them made by the, the finger of God himself, if it's not true that they were the first, then everything we believe as Christians is wrong. It means Jesus, if Adam and Eve weren't first, it means that Jesus lied. And if Jesus lied, he's a sinner. If he's a sinner, he's not God. He can't save us from our sins. So, yeah, you can start out that way. The Holy Spirit will meet you where you are. But if your heart is to remain an evolutionist, then what you're saying is, Lord, I don't care what your Bible says. I don't care what Jesus said. This is what I believe. This fits my 
educational construct, um, then you're identifying yourself as somebody who doesn't really believe. You cannot be both a Christian and an evolutionist um, if the Word of God has been a part of your life. So I hope that answers your question. The idea there is that Genesis is to be taken literally. Uh, The first 11 chapters of Genesis aren't literally true and are not to be taken literally. Then, in fact, we are the silliest people in the world because everything we believe falls apart. This isn't just an issue of, of how long the world's been here and how we got here. This is a question of do we believe God himself Jesus said Adam and Eve were first. He didn't say we come from any other life form. In fact, over and over and over, certain types reproduce after their own kind. Here's a question I don't know exactly if Zachary has the right show or not, but I'm going to take a shot at it anyway. We got the question. Uh, Do you believe in American exceptionalism? And how can we justify putting America first instead of doing what's best for the planet. Um, Zachary, um, we live in an exceptional country. Uh, We have been given by God the opportunity to live in a country where we are the freest in the entire world. And and for my whole life, this has been true. It's getting less and less true. Um, But we live in a country where we are free to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ, where we can serve him without hindrance. Um, And that's an exceptional opportunity. Now, if you believe by American exceptionalism that we're better than other people, well, then the answer is no, we're not. But I think what context we have to understand when somebody talks about American exceptionalism, what are they trying to communicate? Um, our president campaigned on putting America first, not being ashamed of who we are, what we believe, doing that, making policy based on what's good for the United States of America and its citizens. And I think in that sense, we have every right to think this is a wonderful country, the best and the most free on the face of the earth in the history of the world. And that's a pretty exceptional opportunity. But it does not mean, never will mean, Zachary, that we're better than other people. It's sort of like when people think, you Christians think you're better than everybody else. No, we don't. We know we're sinners. We know we're just as bad, just as evil as anybody else is. The difference is that we're forgiven. Well, um, I'd like to see a whole bunch more people think that America is a pretty exceptional place to live. I think that's what real patriotism is. By the way, God was a Zionist. He refers to Zion often. He he thought Israel was pretty exceptional and gave them every opportunity to live exceptional lives. And, of course, they blew it. And I fear, Zachary, that we Americans are blowing it as well. Uh, with regard to your second question, how can we justify putting America first instead of doing what's best for the planet? I assume you're talking about climate change and carbon um, um the, the the gases that are ruining things and and heating up our climate. Uh, I addressed this, I think, yesterday very briefly. Um, we don't have to worry, Zachary, about climate change. Um, God's the one who holds this world together. And what we need to do is trust God. And I think, as Americans, by putting our needs first in this freest nation on planet earth I think we are helping other people now, especially as Christian Zachary I think we are doing what's best for the people if it's our mission to share the gospel of Jesus Christ this is a Christian radio program and I very seldom dabble in politics we talk about issues from time to time but um, um, the idea here is that we can and should be proud of our nation Uh, we should serve it At the same time, uh, our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. 340-9585, I think we're inside two minutes, so let me do a quick question. Uh, Rose asks, uh, how much intimacy is too much before marriage? 
Um, Rose, we're commanded to live sexually moral lives. So by, if by intimacy uh, you mean intercourse, that's a sin before marriage. If you mean um, um, touching private parts and getting too excited, that's a sin. You shouldn't do those things. I think the question that you ought to ask is, is um, what's my responsibility in a relationship? And remember, that responsibility is to represent Christ. And you don't want to use another person's body. You don't want to take advantage of somebody, nor do you want to defile somebody else's body. What you want to do is prepare. Uh, if this is a serious relationship, you want to prepare for a lifetime serving Jesus together. So uh, you can kiss, you can hold hands, but remember, we want to guard ourselves against falling into temptation. We want to honor Jesus. Music is going. That means we're at the end of the first half of the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Or toll free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to the Word to Stand for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We have 30 minutes left and would love your live calls and questions. 340-9585. Here's the first question of the second half. Diane, she wants to know, Judges 11, why did God let Jephthah kill his daughter. Diane, I don't think he did. Now, I think this is important. If you look at the whole context of that, now Jephthah made a foolish vow. You know, it's one of those things God was sending him out to battle and and uh, he, had, he had the promise of victory. He didn't have to do it, but he said, if you give me victory, the first thing I see upon returning, come out of my house, I will sacrifice. Now, of course, he meant an animal or something as an offering to you, Lord. Well, the first thing he saw was his daughter. Now, if you read the passage carefully, the idea that was sacrificed, it doesn't say that she was killed. It's just that she told her father he has to keep the vow. And so she went away for a time with her friends just to mourn. Um, she would never have children. Um, but, but she went away to mourn because she would be childless. The dream of every... Jewish girl was to be the mother of Messiah and she wouldn't have that possibility so what I believe Diane that Jephthah and his daughter sacrificed was her life to him to God not that she died but that she lived in celibacy and she lived without husband and she lived of course uh, without the opportunity of children and it was a, a Big sacrifice. So, uh, you know, we, we hear sacrifice and we automatically think that, that he killed her. Why would he do that? God would have stopped that. Uh, this is a foolish vow. Uh, he didn't have to make it. God certainly, if Jephthah would have known God well enough, he certainly would have let Jephthah out of the vow. All Jephthah had to say was, oh, what a dumb thing that I did. Please forgive me, Lord. And, and, and it would have been done. But uh, the vow was kept. And she lived uh, unmarried and without child for the rest of her life. So uh, I don't think it's one of those things where she was killed at all, like a like an animal would have been killed in sacrifice. Here's a question from Linda. She said, Pesteron, did the apostles make a mistake when Matthias was chosen to replace Judas? And should they have waited for Paul instead? A um, couple of things, um, Linda. And I've heard this argument a bunch of times. Well, Paul is the apostle that was chosen by Jesus. Paul was a special apostle. Paul was not one of the original 12. He had no designs on being one of the original 12. Um, Paul was um, specifically and extraordinarily, uh, abnormally, Paul says, chosen by the Lord. So, no, they didn't make a mistake. Um, they, 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 by lot... 
um, after giving the qualifications for an apostle, they chose by lot. The lot fell to Matthias. There were only two possibilities. And, uh, and so he was chosen. Now people say, but that's just casting the lot. Well, remember, the Holy Spirit hadn't fallen yet. So they were still using the word of God to make a decision, to make a choice between the two. The church was entirely Jewish at that point. Again, the Holy Spirit hadn't been given. And so uh, they did it the Jewish way. And, and certainly God would have honored that choice. So no, it was a mistake. One final thought here, Linda. Sometimes we read the Bible like everything happened in a matter of days. Um, the Apostle Paul didn't get saved until many, many years after the church started. We don't know how many for sure, but I'm, um, my best guess is somewhere between seven and ten years. The church would grow. Some of the apostles would be martyred for their faith. Um, uh, all kinds of persecution would break out. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was part of that persecution. But after a time, God abnormally apprehended Saul of Tarsus, turned him into the great apostle Paul. And uh, that twelfth uh, may another take his place, the scriptures said, Peter read. And um, and that vacancy needed to be filled right away. So no mistake, the apostles did not uh, choose the wrong person. Here is a question that come in... I'm having a hard time here for some reason. To our studio anonymously, when is it the right time to leave a church? Every time I leave the church I'm currently attending, I always feel defeated and down. What should I do? Anonymous leaving a church is hard, especially uh, if you've invested in it, especially if you've got relationships that are built into it. Um, so uh, it, it's it's... A difficult thing, so I understand how you're feeling. The only thing that, that causes me any cause for concern, uh, it says every time you leave the church, like you've done it multiple times, uh, I think what you need to do is make a decision prayerfully about what God wants you to do. And, and don't feel defeated. If you, if you know what God wants you to do and you do it, then you feel exhilarated. Again, it doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, Paul and I have talked about this. You know, I can't imagine what it would be like if I had to leave my church. I can't imagine this is my family. This this is uh, relationships that we're so invested in that we couldn't imagine what it would be like. The only thing, the only thing that could make us do that is God saying to go. I told my church, Anonymous, that if I ever have to leave this church, I'll be able to bring the piece of the wall with God's handwriting on it, like in Daniel chapter 5. And, and I want him to know that I'm committed to the church. Now, as somebody who goes to the church, the right time to leave a church is when you're not being fed. If there's false teaching, if if there's no teaching, or, or, or for all practical purposes, there's no teaching. If you're not growing in your faith, then of course you have to leave the church. But then you do that uh, prayerfully, and you do it, the leading of the Lord, and when you do it, you don't look back. Now, you don't just leave. You tell people that you're leaving, and you don't do it in any sort of a negative way. But um, when you leave, then you don't look back. And if you don't look back, you won't feel defeated. Um, So really think about the reasons that you've left the church. If you're leaving because your feelings are hurt, tough. Hang in there. If you're leaving because you're not being fed or there's no opportunity to serve, well, then it's a good reason to leave. If you're leaving because there's false teaching, that is a the best reason, perhaps, to leave. If you're leaving because there's sin in the church and it's not being dealt with, that's a good reason to leave. Jesus' church needs to be concerned about personal holiness. So if those are the reasons that you're leaving the church. Don't feel defeated. It's not on you. It's on them. But if you're leaving because you're easily offended, if you're leaving because your feelings get hurt, uh, if you're leaving because you just can't make a commitment, to it, well, then that is on you, and you need to deal with those things. Sometimes God has this thing. By the way, he'll never leave you in a bad, in a false teaching church. 
But sometimes they'll leave you in a church where you're frustrated um, if for no other reason than teach you what a servant's really like. So Anonymous, without any more information than that, that's about as good as I can do with that question. Thank you for listening to the program. Here is our next question. It comes from Anonymous 2, Anonymous as well, I should say. Uh, In the last two weeks, two students from a school with mass murders have committed suicide. Uh, Will they go to heaven since they were victims um, of this tragedy? I I know the the stories that you're talking about. In fact, uh, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, um, a a parent of um, one of the students that was killed in Connecticut uh, committed suicide as well. I think the father of one of the kids. It's an unbelievably difficult thing. But if I read your question correctly, Anonymous, um, being hurt, having your heart broken, even suffering this kind of a loss, doesn't give anybody a pass to get to heaven. It's not like, well, they suffered so much in this world that they've got to be taken to heaven. The, the only way anybody gets to heaven is to be born again. You've got to believe in Jesus. You've got to surrender your life to him. Your sins have to be forgiven. That's the only way. The only way to get to heaven. So the fact that they've suffered terrible tragedy in this world doesn't do anything in terms of getting to heaven. You know, I wish, and I was thinking about this this morning, because this really, when I saw the news story on my iPad this morning, for some reason this really gripped my heart, more so than, than things usually do like this. And I saw that picture of that father, and all I could think about was, was his pain. We have a family in our church that a year ago lost their 8-year-old uh, in a car accident, and I see, I live with their pain every day. I can see it in their eyes. I, you know, I want to hug them and ask them how you doing, and they say okay. But 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 we we know they're hurting, and and it's such a depth of pain, and you want it to go away. Um, sometimes Christians, real Christians, are overwhelmed and do what this father did. And I don't know if he was a Christian or not. The, the, the man in Connecticut. Um, so we certainly understand their pain. But what I would love to see is people coming around, those who are hurting, mourning with those who mourn, and just being there for them, being the arms of Jesus. I think one of the ministries that we just don't do very well in the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America is mourn with people. We have to realize that people are hurting, and we have the only answer for pain. It doesn't mean the pain's going to go away. It just means that Jesus will help them cope with that pain. So I don't think that's the case. I've got another question just came in. Is committing suicide a sin? Yes, it is. It's not the unforgivable sin. I said a moment ago, sometimes uh, Christians are overwhelmed. I've done... Funeral services, uh, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly at this moment, three suicides, um, uh, and and two of them I knew were saved. The other I wasn't quite so sure about. Um, people are troubled. Life is hard, and sometimes people, especially if they're not as close to Jesus as they need to be, if they're not men or women of the Word, constantly reinforcing the 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 the, the need to fight with the Word of God. Uh, sometimes they're going to lose. So um, I've got two people I know from our life that have committed suicide who I'm going to see in heaven. Um, I'm not sure. But make no mistake, it is a sin. Only God has the right to call somebody home. We're not our own. We're bought with the price. As Christians, we have no right to expect that things are going to be easy or that things are going to be okay. Nothing. We, we just remember that we're servants of God. 340-9585, my first Easter question this year. I'll get this question between now and the 21st of April, probably three or four times. Jason says, Easter's coming up and I'm still troubled that we celebrate a pagan holiday. Is it okay to go to Easter services? 
uh, Jason Easter, um, and, and I can only speak for my church, but, but Easter here is not a pagan holiday. It's a holiday that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. What could be more appropriate to do? Now, Astera was a pagan holiday. And Easter comes from Astra. That's where the tradition of the fertility and the bunny rabbits and all those things came in. But remember, in a Christian construct, there's nothing pagan about it. And I personally, Jason, love the fact that God takes that which begins as pagan and turns it around for his glory. He does that with you and does it with me. We were pagans. Jesus picked us up, turned us around, and we're no longer pagans. Now we're believers. Well, now we've got this holiday that real Christians, sadly, are arguing about whether or not we should do it because it's a pagan holiday in origin. But I want you to think about this for a moment. On April 21st, we're going to have people all over the globe hearing about Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Nothing pagan at all about that, Jason. So don't be troubled. Go and worship Jesus. Listen to the word. Let God touch your heart. And it's the most unpagan thing that you can do. So don't worry about the origins. Worry only about your own heart and how you're celebrating Easter. It gives me an opportunity to uh, remind you, we've got Easter coming up. I already told you, April 21st. We are going to be at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center again this year. Um, We don't have enough space in our church uh, for the people that come on Easter. So we're going to be having two services at 8.30 and 10.30 at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. Uh, We've got uh, Easter services for your kids. Uh, They will have a blast. Uh, You will be blessed uh, by the story. I I tell the same story every year. I mean, it's nothing original about an Easter story. Um, But people always get saved. We'd love to see you. And if you come out to bring somebody who isn't saved, and uh, they're going to have an opportunity. They're going to receive an invitation to become Christians. And God always, always, always points people out and gets them. So that's coming up. Here is a question from Daniel. He said, do people get a chance, a second chance rather, to be saved after they die? Daniel, the answer is no. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed on men once to die and then face the judgment. So there's no purgatory. There's no holding pen. There's no chance to pray people out. Um, Once this life leaves these bodies, these physical human bodies, that's when it's too late to make any other choices. God requires that we choose in this life where we're going to spend eternity. With him we call it heaven, without him we call that hell. And we have to make that choice while we're still alive. The moment we die, the decision's already been made. So, Daniel, if you're counting on a second chance, sorry, Give your life to Jesus Christ today. Amanda says, uh, does being a Christian, I assume that Amanda's a new Christian, does being a Christian mean that we have to give up old friends? Uh, It doesn't mean you have to give them up. But what it means is you've got to let them see that you're different. Uh, If you love those people, you want to tell them about Jesus. You want them in heaven. So no, you don't have to give them up. Now what we have to give up, Amanda, is the lifestyle that we enjoyed with our old friends prior to becoming Christians. You know, you can't tell an old friend, hey, I gave my life to Jesus, and then go out and get drunk with them. You can't have sex with somebody that you're not married to, uh, even though you might used to have done that with your old friends. Um, You can't do that because now you're a Christian. And usually one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to convince them by the change in your life that they need Jesus too, or they're going to want to stop hanging around with you because there's too much Jesus in you to make them comfortable. So, no, you don't have to drop your old friends, but what you want to do is you want to show, demonstrate to your old friends what living with Jesus is like. 
And every one of those old friends is a great opportunity. The people who knew you before, they now know you as a Christian, and they'll see the difference, and they won't be able to deny what they see. The other thing, Amanda, you want to do is you want to choose friends carefully. Paul says bad company corrupts good character. And sometimes we hang around with people and we see the things that they do and we get dragged into their sin. As a Christian, we certainly don't want that to be the case. Thanks for the question. Um, Here is an anonymous question. It says, I often have doubts about whether I'm really saved. Why do I have those thoughts and what can I do about them? Um, Anonymous, the first thing, first you can recognize the source of those thoughts. Uh, That's an enemy of your soul uh, who doesn't want you to feel secure. You know, God makes it so that that we ought to feel so secure, so safe in Christ. Um, The enemy wants to destroy that. The more he can get you thinking about it, the more frightened he can get you, the more opportunities we give to him to, to, to sort of mess with everything. Jesus said, if you abide in him, he will abide in you. And I can promise you, Anonymous, that if you abide in Christ, you're never going to have any doubts about your security in Christ. Um, so what can you do about it? You've got to get close to Jesus. You've got to get close to Jesus. Now, if you have doubts about your salvation because you're living in sin, well, those are doubts are good things. That's not the devil. That's the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and convicts you of the answer for sin and gives you a whole new beginning. But if you live in open and willful sin, I promise you, you're going to have all kinds of doubts, all kinds of insecurity. So get close to Jesus. Get to know your Bible. Abide in Him and He will abide with you. You know, Anonymous, I say to my church here all the time, just be with Jesus. And I can tell you, I've been saved for 28 years. And I've never, not for one moment, doubted my salvation. I've never for a moment doubted that Jesus was my Lord and Savior. Um, Just be with Jesus. And that's the most natural thing in the world. God wants you to know you are safe and secure in his hand. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from our email inbox that just came in for anonymously. Hello, Pastor. Thank you so much for your radio ministry. Hey, thank you. What are your thoughts about one step or plan B? My wife and I have used this before to avoid pregnancy. I want to get your thoughts, if possible, from a moral standpoint. I thank you for your time and attention. Anonymous, I'm, you know, I'm so old. Our kids are grown and gone. I'm, I'm not sure about what one step or plan B is. Um, there is, um, um, certainly we wouldn't want to use any sort of a pill that, that spontaneously causes an abortion. Um, but but family planning is not a sin. Um, birth control of, of um, anything that isn't abortive in, in nature isn't a sin. You're free to use it. It's a matter of conscience. Romans 14, 23 says anything not of faith is sin. So if you and your wife in good conscience can stand before the Lord and say, uh, we just at this time didn't want children, so we, we use contraceptives. Then, then I don't think there's uh, um, a problem with that at all. Can I also say this to you? And I don't know who you are. Uh, that's why you wrote in anonymously. But here's one thing that I try to tell people at our church all the time. You know, I love these people with all of my heart. And I want the best for them. And I know in, in our church there are people who are trying not to have children. And, and they haven't even consulted God on it. As Christians, Anonymous, what we need to do is seek the will of God on all things before making these important decisions. Think about it this way. If, if you get to heaven, or let's say Jesus had the came for his church today, and he said, oh, I had a baby for you. I wanted to bless you, but you wouldn't let me. How would you explain that? 
I know we have plans. I know we have our own ideas. But at the core of our being as a Christian is our desire to please God and not do what we want. And so the only thing I would ask you to do in this whole contraceptive question is, Jesus, do you want us to have a kid? Are we denying the gift that you want to give us? A lot of people are not ready to have children, but when they came, boy, it changes your life in an instant, and it's a great, great change. My point is, don't keep God from blessing you if that's what he wants to do. As Christians, we're obligated to seek his will and not our own will. So I hope that answered your question. I'm sorry I don't know more about plan B or whatever the other one was. Oh, well, we're inside one minute, so I don't have much time. Let me again mention that we've got Easter coming up on April 21st at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. We'd love to see you there. Uh, you will be blessed. 8.30 and 10.30 are the two services. Obviously, it's free. Nobody's going to ask you for money. Uh, invite unsaved friends and family members, and we would love, we would love to have you. Uh, I always ask you, if you come from the radio audience, just be sure you come and introduce yourself to me and to Paula, and we would love to be able to give you a hug. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.